Insider from ClarkCountyToday.com. I'm Jacob Brannon. I'm Chris Brown. And we are here to talk to you again. Yes, sort of our uh, health topics episode. Indeed it is. Yeah, we... uh, for better or for worse, there are a lot of health-related things going on in our community at present. Um, some are very specific to the times. Others are sort of longer, overarching issues. But nonetheless, they are all very relevant today. Yeah. Now, obviously, the measles outbreak, that's been a national story, international, in fact. For sure. Not the kind of stuff we like to be in the headlines for when CNN and CBS are doing stories about us. But. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but here we are, and of course now we are up to I think as of today. And I talked to uh, Dr. Alan Malnick. We'll hear from him in a little bit. He's the uh, public health officer for Clark County. I talked to him just a little bit ago before we started recording this episode. We were up to fifty. I don't know if they've released new numbers. Um, he was expecting it to go a little bit higher today. So let's say fifty-one in the state at the moment. The state. Eleven uh, unconfirmed at this point. Um, those be locally. Those are, well, 50 and the 50 are in Clark County. One oh. is in King County. Oh, gotcha. And then we have uh, 11 so far unconfirmed. Those are cases that they're waiting for test results back on. Sure. So, I mean, we don't know exactly when this thing is going to wrap up. It's been going since about the middle of January. So we're, we're narrowing in on a month uh, for this outbreak, and it's been big news. It's divided people on social media. Definitely, yeah. Uh, it's created a lot of controversy and a lot of debate, as things tend to do these days. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, but we're obviously not going to get into the debate on the vaccine versus anti-vaccine. We'll let Dr. Melnick maybe talk a little bit about that Speak as part of this. professional experience, yeah. Right. And you can take that at face value and, and accept it or un- not accept it. And a lot of folks are not accepting it. Clark County is, uh, Washington State actually is one of the least vaccinated states when it comes to percentage of people vaccinated with the MMR vaccine. Really? And Clark County is one of the least vaccinated counties in one of the least vaccinated states in the United States. Strike one, strike two. Right. You know, and so strike three. There's been differing numbers. I've heard anywhere from around 73% of people vaccinated, which is pretty low. Considering, I think the nationwide number is around ninety-two to ninety-five percent. Wow! Um, it could be a little higher than that, um, but you have some pockets of, of different types of populations that are very low, and I think that sort of skews the numbers a little bit. Um, so it sounds like it's predominantly in our community, even within our state. We are the pretty much the entire source or most of the of the of those numbers that you just rattled off would be in Clark County alone. well just yeah I mean I think in terms of in Washington state I believe the vaccination rate is around 81 percent were lower than that part of this is is the cost of all of this so when I talked to dr. Melnick he said uh, so far the price tag to respond to this is three hundred and twenty thousand dollars Wow I mean they're expecting that by the time this is all over we could have spent in the high six figure, maybe even over a million dollars in terms of responding to this. Now we're talking mostly um, a lot of overtime and he'll talk a little bit about, you know, just sort of the resources that they've had to to bring in to respond to this. They've had folks come in from Idaho. The state has declared a public health emergency. Uh, the county declared a public health emergency uh, to free up resources and allow for more response to this. Uh, I asked Dr. Melnick um, about all the work that they have to go through when you see somebody walk into a an emergency room or a health clinic 
and say, I think I might have the measles. What you just presented to me is kind of a nightmare scenario. The last thing we want to do is have people walk into a doctor's office in an emergency room with measles um, uh, because then we have concerns about people who might have been exposed. As you can imagine, in an emergency room or a doctor's office, who are you likely to encounter? Infants who are too young to be immunized, people with immune deficiency who can't receive the vaccine or a particular risk of complications. By the way, infants are at risk as, of complications as well. And then um, you might run into uh, an unvaccinated pregnant woman who are increased risk of complications, including miscarriage and stillbirth. So that, you know, that is a scenario we really want to avoid. And the, the bad thing about, there's a lot of bad things about measles, but one of the bad things about measles is that the early symptoms, runny nose, cough, a fever, and red or pink eye, is uh, you, you, that can occur for several days before the rash starts, and you're exquisitely contagious during that time. And the last thing, and at this time of year, there are other respiratory illnesses that present that way. So the last thing we want are those folks walking into a doctor's office. Um, but if they do, what we have to do, or an emergency department, what we have to do is work with the clinic, the doctor's office, or the emergency room and get a roster of all the patients who are in there at the time up to two hours after the person with measles left because that's how contagious it is. And then find out if they brought anybody else who was not on the patient roster with them. And then we have to contact those folks. We have to determine whether anybody who was in the waiting room or emergency department had been unvaccinated and so that we have to actively monitor them because they're at risk of getting the disease. And if there are infants or pregnant women, and we know within six days, uh, we have to try to get them some medication called immunoglobulin to help prevent measles. So, and that's only if we identify it within six days. Anyway, on the, the bottom line is, the la you know, there's a lot of work that, as you can imagine, there's a lot of work that has to get done into controlling this. And that's why we don't want people who might be having measles symptoms to walk into a doctor's office or an emergency room. I mean, so you could just kind of hear from his tone of voice there how much work goes into sort of trying to figure out uh, who might have been exposed Definitely. and when they were exposed and were they vaccinated or unvaccinated. Um, there was one case, three people, three more confirmed cases in Multnomah County that link back to Clark County. And wow. he said, fortunately, those people had already been under observation when they started exhibiting symptoms. So they know that there's very little likelihood that other people were exposed to them when they were contagious. But you can just see like the way this disease is and the way it, you know, how contagious it is before you even know you have it, how difficult that is and, and why it's costing so much to respond to this. Definitely. So it sounds like we know why it is such a, a difficulty for the people responding to it what do we know right now about how this all started and sort of the origin story of this most recent outbreak? Well, I asked him about that because everybody wants to know a patient zero, right? Sure. And I found their response very interesting. They said, do you realize that that's not actually a term we use in the medical profession, right? There is no such thing as patient zero. Interesting. So, but I asked him, I said, you know, knowing that, what can we, what can we say about the or origination of this? I mean, he basically said they know who the first confirmed case was, but they may never know who 
patient zero was, quote unquote? I got to tell you, we know about 50 cases, right? So I can just about guarantee you that for you that there's other cases out there that we don't know about. So, I mean, to be a case, you not only have to have the disease, but you have to get diagnosed and have, you know, laboratory confirmation. So I can't even, you know, we had that first case that we we confirmed back in early January. I think there was exposure. That case had been in the Memorial Urgent Care on the 31st of December. But I cannot guarantee for you or even come close to guaranteeing for you that that's the first case. For all I know, there were other cases in the community that were undiagnosed before then. I mean, so I found that to be really interesting, the way he put that. And he said, basically, what's more interesting than figuring out who is patient zero is figuring out, well, why are we having these measles outbreaks at all? We've had 349 cases in the United States in 2018, so it still exists. And as long as you have an unvaccinated population, and as long as measles is only a bus ride or a car ride or a plane ride away, it's inevitable that we're going to have measles um, outbreaks down the road. We've already had it in Disneyland. We had it in New York. We had it in Minnesota. We're seeing it in Clark County right now. That's what matters. And what matters is that we have a disease that we shouldn't be seeing that can that used to kill 400 to 500 people every year in the United States. And we can prevent this from happening through a safe, effective, and cheap vaccine. Um, we could prevent this and stop this from happening. It doesn't matter whether patient zero, one, two, three, because I can guarantee there's going to be more patients zero, one, two, three down the road as long as they're not adequately vaccinated. So, I mean, you can hear the frustration in his voice over that. Definitely. Now, I, I asked him, what are you seeing in terms of um, people getting the, the vaccine now are we you know and do you expect that we're going to see these vaccination rates continue to go up and he basically said yeah I mean you've seen more doctors telling him that they're seeing parents come in and get their kids even people who were maybe opposed to vaccines or at least nervous about them or bringing their kids in to get vaccinated now interesting um you know and he expects that to continue he said what he's concerned about is that We'll have a, a brush of people who get vaccinated now, and then we won't see any cases yeah. for a while, and sort of it'll all come back around, and we'll end up with this again. Become cyclical, right? Almost, and yeah. and he basically said, you know, that that what concerns him more is sort of this. And again, I don't want to get into the the pro vaccine, anti vaccine, sure, but I'm sure. just going to let him talk a little bit about sort of the, the concerns that he has over. A lot of what you see online about info, uh, yeah, misinformation. Yeah, a lot of what he sees online about vaccines and the potential risks. The link between uh, the supposed link between uh, vaccine and and autism was debunked years ago. In fact, Andrew Wakefield, who first brought it up, lost his license over this, and Lancet had to retract the article. But that's been studied, studied, studied. There's, there's a huge body of literature on this. There is no link between the vaccine and uh, autism. No, so, And I think people get, well, we can talk about the difference between causation and association because, you know, the vaccine is given in young childhood, and that's when autism is diagnosed. And I think people, it's easy to, to believe it because people, you know, see the it's a temporal association but not a cause. Vaccine doesn't cause autism. The vaccine is incredibly safe so getting this information out is essential but it's hard to compete 
with a volume of stuff that's on social media. And of course, the the other big part of this, and he talked a little bit about this, was the the fear of the uh, the virus shedding. Sure. And of course, shedding is basically when you get the vaccine, you're worried that somebody else in your family, let's say, you have an older child, you get them vaccinated. You have a younger child who's too young to be vaccinated yet. There's a concern that the the virus then could be spread to them and they could get sick. And he says that over and over again, that's been debunked. So, I mean, take him for what he's worth. I also asked him, I said, well, what about, I mean, because, you know, uh, the other big argument is about, well, look at the money. Look at Merck and the other pharmaceutical companies that make the MMR vaccine. And he said, I mean, you can make it that way you will, but understand that I'm a county employee. I'm not getting paid by any pharmaceutical company. I'm not... No one's patting my pocket has to no tell you to get vaccinated. To, yeah, to be supplying this information, it sounds like. Right. You know, so I mean, he answers that. And, and again, you can take it at face value. There are going to be plenty of people who listen to what he has to say and say, yeah, well, what about? Or say that they have research or they have information that says differently. And you're free to believe that. You may not be free that much longer to make that belief into a reason to not have your kid vaccinated, sure. at least if you want them in public school, because. Because of this, we've got uh, what is it? House Bill sixteen thirty eight, which yep. is co sponsored by Representative Paul Harris and Monica Stonier and Monica Stonier of the seventeenth uh, and forty ninth district. And Harris is a Republican and Stonier is a Democrat, so it's a bipartisan bill. And it basically what it does, I heard somebody say that it, it eliminates exemptions at all. I read the bill. I didn't see it that way, but it does basically say that you have to have proof of immunization in order to have your kid in public school past a certain point. Interesting. And it was interesting to uh, to also realize because uh, Dr. Melnick at a, a public health uh, board board of public health meeting uh, late last month had basically said there aren't as many religious exemptions to vaccinations as you might think. They're actually a really small percentage. Most of these are personal or philosophical exemptions. Yeah. Now, to get a personal or philosophical exemption under state law, which was passed about three years ago, you still have to go to a doctor and have a doctor sign off saying, we had a conversation. I told them about the benefits. I told them about the risks. They've decided not to get their child vaccinated, and that's what you give to your school to say, I had a conversation with my physician or my child's physician. And I understand the decision that I'm making. Now, this bill, if it's passed, it's similar to a bill that was introduced in 2015 but didn't make it through. Um, it would basically eliminate that as an exemption. You gotcha. would no longer—I mean, you could still uh, claim a personal or philosophical exemption, but past a certain point when it comes to the MMR vaccine— for measles, mumps, and rubella, you would not be able to have your child in public school. Gotcha. Now, of course, there's a big debate about personal choice and what choice do I have as a parent in what I want my child to receive in terms of vaccinations or how I want their their medical treatment to be done. I'm sure that's a debate that's going to be had on the House floor. And if he gets past the House on the Senate floor, the governor has said he would sign it if it gets to his desk. So if it gets through the legislature this session, <clears throat> excuse me, then we're going to most likely see it signed into law. So it'll be interesting. California already has a similar law. You'll remember the uh, the outbreak, 90 people in, at Disneyland. Mm -hmm. I think uh, he mentions it a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and I believe that was in 2015. It was after that that, that uh, the legislature tried to pass this law that would have eliminated most of those exemptions. 
The compromise was, okay, let's make them have a conversation with their doctor. Now, Dr. Melnick tells me that did reduce slightly the number of personal and philosophical exemptions, but obviously we're still seeing quite a few of those. He's in favor of legislation to essentially say, fine, you can have your exemption, but your child can't be in public school past a certain point. So we'll see what happens. Interesting. So in other health news, uh, you went to a, a forum recently. Yes. They were looking at uh, the issue of vaping, especially with teenagers. Yes, almost almost exclusively. And, and, and some are even calling it uh, the vaping epidemic. Um, and it's uh, a trend that's definitely gained steam, um, as they said. Uh, clearly, the pun was intended. <laughs> um, among, among youth and among students in, in, in a lot of middle schools and high schools, and so the panel was uh, hosted by the Prevent Coalition, mm-hmm. which was formed uh, several years ago to prevent tobacco-related um, products from being used in schools. And they actually, uh, several years ago, received a really, really generous grant um, and that reoccurred for about five years. And that's kind of how they got their footing and how they got their 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 foundation. And now this is their next sort of uh, big-ticket item is right. vaping. And so the panel uh, invited a lot of folks from the community. We had um, an SRO, um, uh, school resource officer from uh, the Heritage High School there. Um, we had uh, a lot of counseling professionals from various high schools. There were two students actually on the panel, a senior and a junior, um, who had both been users of vaping products and kind of talked about their experiences coming out of that world. Um, and then also it was moderated by um, um, uh, Shane Gardner, who is the head of of the security um, division for Evergreen Public Schools. Right. So the consensus that was essentially shared is that it definitely is a problem. They have significant rising numbers, and, and you can look at our, um, our article that kind of lays out a lot of those statistics in, in greater detail. But there are rising numbers, um, anecdotal, uh, from the law enforcement side, everywhere, of the, you know, this is a trend. And the two biggest things that they sought to do besides just, you know, gaining support was – what are these products? And then what do we know about them that they do? So safety comes up all the time. Are these products safe or not? And, you know, the testing, you know, has shown, well, sure, there's some things about that are safer than cigarettes, but the devices vary so much we don't really know. What we have found is, and generally, there's generally one or two uh, carcinogens that we're finding in these devices, often formaldehyde, something called and the most popular of all those products is something called the jewel and that is uh essentially it's a vaping product that's similar to most vaping products you have a liquid substance that's flavored that's where the nicotine is that's where a lot of the disputed chemicals are and then that is then pushed through what they call an atomizer which is just a glorified way to say a heating element Mm -hmm. and then that is what basically creates the vape the you know the vaping product and that can be inhaled. And a lot of people think that it's just water vapor. And both of the students on the panel expressed that when they first heard about it as, as middle schoolers and high schoolers that they were told, no, it's just water vapor. Right. Because it is marketed as this, you know, healthier alternative to smoking, which is conclusive. It is far healthier than smoking if you want to just compare the two. Um, but it is not actually water vapor. It's actually an aerosol because there are chemicals that are carried within that that keep it. You know, if it was just water vapor, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have that. It wouldn't be able to carry the flavor in the same mm-hmm. way. It wouldn't be able to carry the nicotine in the same way, and it would dissipate differently. So the jewel is is 
become the most popular because of its size. It's very small. It looks like a USB stick. It can be charged literally through a USB port within a little adapter. I've heard from teachers who basically they find these yeah. things occasionally in school computers because yeah, they kids look, plug them in and they, they look like USB sticks. Um, and and they have what they call jewel pods, and that's just the little thing that pops off the top, and that's what carries you know the the substance that's vaporized. And so their biggest sort of struggle with this is that you know a lot of them said that they didn't want to continually and further criminalize this activity. Um, but they didn't want it to continue because they see the health uh, impact for kids. And the biggest, the biggest point that was made by a, um, a lady who is uh, actually a counselor, works counseling at, at Prairie High School in Battleground, is that whereas for adults who may have been smokers and are invested in vaping as an alternative to smoking, right. That works. It's been conclusively proven that that actually is twice as effective. The New York Times published some statistics uh, and some data that was collected in the in Great Britain uh, just at the end of last month, speaking to that effect, that it is incredibly effective if you're trying to quit smoking to use vaporizing um, products or vapor products as an option. So, so if you've reached the, you know, a certain level of addiction to yeah. something that's more harmful, this can help you step back. Exactly. But if you haven't been a smoker previously, this could be a gateway. Exactly. Adults, if they have been smokers, they may go to using a vape to try to quit smoking, which I think is a positive thing, and then kind of try to wean themselves off. So for adults, a lot of times, it's it's an either-or type of a situation. But with teens, many times when they get addicted to nicotine, they actually will add smoking to the mix. So I've heard the saying for adults, it's either-or. Um, for teens, um, it's give me more. <laughs> Uh, it's fun to say, I guess. Catchy. <laughs> let, me, but, let me try it. Either or, or give me more. There you go. I You've like got it. it. Um, that's the, that's, there you go. That's <laughs> it. We're done. That's it. Um, so basically what they shared is that, you know, it's different because if you haven't used nicotine products, obviously nicotine is highly addictive. I think that's non-disputable, undisputable. I always mess that word Indisputable. Up. Indisputable. Um, but that's why you have Grammarly installed. Exactly. <laughs> that's why we all have Grammarly. But essentially what happens. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. Could be though. <laughs> but essentially what happens is if you haven't used a nicotine product, these jewels, you know, one jewel pod. And this is this is on the jewel website. This is, you know, an unashamedly advertised element of their product is equivalent to one pack of, you know, average cigarettes, which is a substantial amount of nicotine when you break it down just in the quantities. And so if, if you have never experienced nicotine products in your body, especially as someone who is a youth and your brain is still developing, then it's going to be incredibly, you know, more addictive initially, even more than cigarettes could. And mm-hmm. that was a comment that they mentioned is, you know, there are not the roadblocks that there are to smoking, you know, smoking, there's a smell, there's the coughing, you know, it, no one likes no that one likes a cigarette. That first no one takes puff. a drag from a cigarette the first time and goes, mm, I that love was a that. Good Everybody idea. goes, <laughs> that's the stuff, smooth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not and great. So that doesn't happen with vaping because instead of that, you're taking a hit off of a product that, if it wasn't flavored, doesn't really have a taste, doesn't really make you cough at all, and most of the time is going to taste like a fruit smoothie mm-hmm. or mint gum. 
So well, well that yeah, that is far the, less uh, far less barriers to trying it. That that's a huge concern. And I've been to a, another forum recently where they had some folks. This was a Daybreak Youth Forum. Sure, it was basically a, a drug uh, halfway house for teens, and they were talking about the issue isn't so much that this stuff might be healthy or unhealthy or you know whether this is a, a healthier alternative to smoking the issue for them was more that you have these companies basically selling devices that you still have to be 18 to buy legally sure and there's a movement in the legislature this session to, to try and raise that age to 21 that's another uh, item that their prevent coalition was very <clears throat> much sure. in support of yeah uh, and Representative Paul Harris, one of our representatives here in Clark County, is is majorly behind that. That's his initiative. Um, but the issue for them is some not so much, you know, is this a, a healthy alternative to cigarettes? It's why is this being marketed in a way that is so attractive to teenagers exactly. if it's supposed to be something that's enjoyed, enjoyed only by adults? And, and Juul has come under Juul fire a lot. That is, it is definitely uh, – they were the most criticized of all of the companies that were there. Um, a lot of the initial vaping products are sort of almost old school now, which is ridiculous, <laughs> but they, they are the larger tank, you know, devices that hold, they're refillable, they hold more of the fluid, and then, you know, they last longer. Those are less popular now, been replaced by Juul because they're more, you know, portable, they're easier to conceal, and they also don't have the giant vape cloud that comes with it. Mm. A Juul is way less noticeable than a full-on vape uh Oh, I've heard, product. I've, yeah, I've heard teachers say that they'll, why Why am I smelling a watermelon? Yeah, why does it smell like pineapple in my Yeah, and, and, and you realize that somebody in your class, unbeknownst to you, has, you know, taken a, a hit from one of these tiny little When they machines, actually, basically. one of the things that they expressed as well is that it's it's difficult because a lot of kids are interested in trying it or they're incredibly, in, you know, endeavoring to to hide it. And that was something that uh, Officer Brendan McCarthy from the Sheriff's Office, uh, who is the uh, school resource officer for Heritage High School, mentioned is, you know, and he quotes, he's quoted as saying, you know, kids are are both ingenious and idiotic because uh, they they have really, he, he, what he goes on to say is that, you know, in his school, what he has seen is a tremendous interest in, in being a part of this and, and wanting to try this. And even to the links of having kids bringing, you know, several hundred dollars worth of Xbox games or Xbox, you know, uh, consoles to trade for for a vapor product. And so that is something that they're they're also, you know, fighting against. And they, they even have hoodies that, you know, the, the drawstrings on the hoodies are connected to a vapor product. So you can just use that and then exhale it into the hoodie and it's not as noticeable. So they've they've expressed a lot of the, the difficulties that they are dealing with in reducing it uh, in the schools, mainly because, number one, it's not legal for them, many of these students, to possess it. And then number two, because of the sort of gray area of the health impacts of these products. So you're noticing I'm looking at my phone over here. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at Jewel's website because I, I thought it was interesting. I mentioned that they had taken a lot of heat for their marketing. Yeah. Right? So this was during the Daybreak Youth Forum when they were talking about drugs. So I went to their website while they were talking, and they had passed around some of these jewel pods, and they had names like Mango Madness, Mint Medley. Sure. I can't remember. I, I may be oh, getting yeah. them wrong. No, so you're pretty I, close. I had gone to their website when I was writing that story, and they had taken down all the pictures of their jewel pods. And I'm going looking now 
Well, first of all, I should say that they now make you age verify when you go to their website. Which doesn't matter Which they didn't anyways. before. <laughs> uh, and now the names are like Virginia Tobacco, Mint, Classic Tobacco, Mango Cucumber, Creme, Menthol, Fruit. So they, they went and they changed. And now the website looks very colorless and very upscale, very adult. Yeah. Whereas before it was a lot of... You know, colors popping and oh, for hip, sure. You and know. and one of the things the panel examined was the initial marketing campaign of Jewel. And I mean, any, everything from New York Times Square posters to you know advertisements that you know you're going to see on potentially websites that that, that youth are going to be visiting. Uh, and they're very colorful. They're very modern. I mean, the graphic designer in me is like, wow, that's really you know <laughs> that's up and coming. You know, that's good design. But then you're like, ugh, you know. Well, it's, just, it's interesting it, to know being marketed to a, the a, reaction from a company like that to basically say, oh, okay, no, 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 we're, we're for adults. And now front and center on their website is, hey, here's our mission. We're here to help smokers quit. Like exactly. that's what they are now. Yeah. That's what they've become is they're basically saying we're not a device for kids to hide out and, and use tobacco products in class without being caught. We're for people who want to get off cigarettes to more effectively quit which you've said has been proven to be true, but there's always going to be this question over when any of these types of new technologies or new ways of consuming an addictive substance become popular. Sure. I mean, you'll remember cigarettes went through the same thing, right? Oh, yeah. Where they were, you know, they used to be front and center when you went into the mini mart and they were down at kid level. And now they have to be back behind and up high. Yeah. And they have to make sure that their packages don't have certain colors that kids find attractive, a certain design. Exactly. Going through the of, same thing in the in the marijuana industry. Sure. Well, and that's the other element is that, you know, they're, the fears that kind of concluded the panel were the fact that you can use vapor products that have THC and cannabis carrier, extracts. Carrier oils. Yeah, carrier oils, to, everything. Yeah. And they are not, you know, they aren't, they don't look any different. They can be used in the same capacity. Um, there's actually another company that is a very similarly designed product to Juul, but they only uh, market and sell um, cannabis vapor products. So I, I know on this panel there was a, a, a student. Two students, actually. Two students. Yeah. I, I'm curious, what, what were they saying about sort of what the atmosphere is like inside the classrooms or inside Definitely. the halls? Well, I know from what they said and then also speaking to other youth in the community, it is – incredibly popular um especially you know people will go to the bathroom um a lot of bathroom activity because you know obviously it's a it's a secluded place most of the time there's a ventilation device you know so it's going to be easy to potentially get away with it in the bathroom the other element is you know a lot of them will like do it in their car and that's something that they mentioned uh in the the panel is you know if they are of high school age if they have a friend who has a car if they're old enough to be driving a car they just go out to their car you know, whether it's at lunchtime, before, after school, in between, all that stuff. But it's being done on school grounds still. And what they both mentioned as, as kind of the biggest challenge, because they both came from a, a, a perspective of using these products for a year, six months, or however long it was, and and then coming out of it and almost having that sort of retrospective look at it. And now both of them, actually, one of them in particular, endeavors to be a part of a movement to persuade students and youth to not use vapor products. And one of the difficulties that was mentioned more so by the counselors than by the youth is the lack of sort of damning evidence against vaping to present to youth. 
So as some of you might recall, you know, when smoking sort of became incredibly unpopular, which even I remember as a millennial, you know, I remember the the lessons at school where they would show you the picture of the messed up lungs and the jar. Oh, you had a lot of visuals you could show off. Very, right? Well, very graphic visuals, especially. And that element is not a part of vaping because it's not, you know, a conclusively, you know, you're not going to vape, you know, for, for a year and have visibly, you know, damaged lungs potentially that's not that that the research and the science is not at that place yet it may or may not get there but we're not at that place yet in fact one of the panelists even mentioned that it may take a decade to get to where we are currently at with cigarettes to be at that place with vapor products or tobacco products rather so that is a a, a sort of a, a difficulty that they faced but the students when asked that question did respond or one of the students i should say did respond saying you know, that she didn't actually like that those tactics, she didn't want to use fear tactics, which is an interesting answer that I did not expect to hear, um, that she did not want to use those tactics to scare her peers into not using these products. She wanted to present them with as clear, conclusive and relevant evidence as possible, and then share, you know, anecdotal evidence from her, from her experience and from her peers experience who have come come from using vapor products rather than saying, if you use this, you're going to die, or if you use this, you're going to get, become ill. So so that was an interesting response that was also seen uh, on the panel. But but the consensus was definitely we don't have the same resources or examples to point to that we do with classical tobacco products. And that's sort of just where they're at right now is we're trying to understand as much as we can. Um, we're trying to develop new ways to explain these products and also get a lot of the components and and uh, included chemicals, m- more of those FDA approved or disapproved. Um, because right now, one of the biggest uh, sort of hazards that they expressed potentially happening is not the vapor product itself, but the fact that it's being heated to massive temperatures in a small compartment. Right. Yeah. And then anytime you do that, I mean, it's simple science, you're going to have potentially changing or or transforming chemicals that are going to turn into something else or the effects of those chemicals are going to change because it's been heated you know it's been tested at room temperature or 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 lower and not at the temperatures that it'll be at within a vaping device and also the heavy metals that are attached to a lot of the components of these atomizers little tiny pieces of that getting sort of sucked into the vapor stream that's that's typically not great for your lungs either and then at the bottom line at the end of the day fluid in the human lung is called pneumonia Uh, and Mm. and you're inhaling a device that has the potential to create condensation within the lungs and anytime that happens in any volume obviously you're not going to get pneumonia from using a vapor product but it's a similar scenario in the fact that you're you're inviting fluid into the lungs it can restrict or prohibit them from doing their function. Yeah, and you could potentially raise the uh, the possibility that you might develop pneumonia if you were to get the flu or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, there's there's a lot of things that they just don't know because there are so many variables to test. It's just kind of hard to conclude. But but it has been very very um, publicly proven that it is helpful for people that are trying to quit smoking. The problem that they said that they are facing is not that or saying that that is damaging, but separating it from users who are new to any sort of nicotine or tobacco products and show and and sort of make that distinction that it is different even though it's the same product. Well, it's interesting too sort of the human propensity for if something is more efficient or safer, 
It doesn't mean that we and I'll use LED lights as an example. Right? Sure. Remember back when we were developing LED lights and they were slowly replacing incandescents, and we were saying, "Hey, this is going to revolutionize revolutionize the amount of energy that Americans use." Sure. Right. And we're finding now that we're still using the same amount of energy just because we go, "Hey, this LED light uses you know one tenth of the energy of an incandescent. Now I can have ten LED lights on <laughs> and keep my cost the same." And so yeah. it turns out that we're not using less power; we're just using more, more light. Of light, yeah, right. And so I think that's that same kind of mentality holds true maybe for somebody who uses vaping products over a cigarette. I know a lot of people that smoke. But they only smoked in specific situations, mm-hmm. usually when around other smokers, you know, and they didn't smoke as much. And now, because they have an e-cigarette or a vape pen and they think it's safer, they take it with them everywhere and they're constantly taking yeah. puffs on it. And so there's also that question of because you're consuming more of it, even if it's safer, are you potentially causing as much damage? Or if we find out yeah. that these oils it's that are being analogy. atomized— yeah. Uh, and getting into your system are causing just as much damage, but maybe in a different area or in a different way. And we may not know, like you said, for a decade until all of a sudden we see a rise in a certain type of cancer. And we go, what's causing this? Yeah. Oh, okay. Correlates with vaping and the rise of vaping. Exactly. Who's to say? I mean, science yeah. will eventually figure it out. I mean, we what shall I see. Yeah. What, what I see you saying is that technology leapfrogged science in terms of the research into potential hazards of these things and we adopted it all and now we've got to catch up and do the research and find out hey is this actually safer is this better or are we killing ourselves in just a different way yeah exactly that's precisely what's going on and so that's kind of what the panel concluded with and that's what they are endeavoring to do with each of them or each of the panelists in their own environments their own schools so only time will tell, really, at this point, what will transpire in well, that world. We're always interested to hear your thoughts. You can uh, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Clark County Today on Facebook. We're uh, News from CCT on Twitter. You can uh, sound off and share your thoughts there. Hashtag the insider, and we'll get it. Um, and we're just curious to hear your thoughts on both measles. Are you pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine? Um, try and be nice. Folks have been a little bit mean on that topic yeah. on social media. Let's keep it we, civil. We try to keep things civil. Uh, and, and share your thoughts on vaping. Do you think this is a better thing? Are you upset about kids having access to it? If so, or if not, why? Let us know. And uh, you can... Make sure you subscribe for follow-up episodes, right? Yes, for sure. And we are functioning. Uh, there's been a little bit of an issue trying to locate the podcast on Spotify. We are currently working on that. So if you are trying to use it there, we apologize. But we are definitely running and very accessible on both Apple Podcasts, iTunes Podcasts, and Google Play Music. So listen to us wherever you like, and we'd love to hear your feedback, as Chris said. So thank you so much for joining us today with the insider from ClarkCountyToday.com. I'm Jacob. I'm Chris. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.